During our last episode, I talked to my good friend and fellow certified sex therapist, Sharon Depsinski, about menopause and all you need to know about it. And Sharon shared like phenomenal resources and lots of great information and some really helpful statistics. And we got going and had such a great conversation about this that I decided to break the episode into two parts so that it didn't get too long. So today is going to be part two of our conversation. I really think you're going to want to listen. Are you ready to cut through the BS and get down to the truth about sex and love? Welcome to the Great Sex Podcast. I'm Dr. Heather England, a certified sex therapist and relationship expert. Join me for candid conversations that address what you truly want to know and answer your burning questions, because I want to empower you to ignite your sex and love life. So here we are. It's part two of our conversation with... Sharon Depsinski about menopause. So we're going to cut right back into our conversation. Thanks for listening. Some of the other numbers that I found too, is that nearly one in three women in the U.S. experiences decreased libido during menopause. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't happen to all of us, but it happens to many of us. Um, and that uh, more than 50% of postmenopausal women are affected by urinary incontinence. Mm. So there's another huge issue. Um, more than 25% of women then after menopause have dyspareunia, which is that pain with intercourse that you were talking about. So mm -hmm. those numbers are really high when you stop they, and think about it. Yeah, they are high, unfortunately. Yeah. And the thing about all of these symptoms is that, you know, that affect our, our vulvar area is that uh, they can worsen over time. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's been more recent uh, recommendations that have come out that when we hit age 45, um, and if we're having any symptoms at all of the things that we've talked about, that we should be on a vaginal estrogen which is either a cream or an ovule or even a little ring. There's some several different ways, but um, they liken it to a preventative like sunscreen or wearing your seatbelt, which means you start it, you're on it twice a week and you're on it for the rest of your life. That it works as long as you're on it. That's fascinating. So in a way, it sounds like estrogen delivered directly to your vaginal tissue will help to keep it healthier, keep it more supple, almost like yeah. a moisturizer on your skin, right? Yeah. It, um, you know, there are physiological changes that happen in our vulvar region. Um, the skin can get more friable, more, which, which meaning more tender, more, more fragile, um, thin, more yeah. likely to tear. Right. Um, we can also, um, our vaginal canal can shrink, our clitoris can shrink, um, our urethra, which is the little, you know, tube area that we urinate out of can actually start to protrude, which kind of also mm -hmm. explains some of these urinary mm -hmm. issues, our microbiome uh, changes. Uh, so there's lots of issues down there physiologically. Yeah. You know, when I mentioned wrinkles in our face and we lose wrinkles in our um, vulvar area, it's because for some women, that we actually lose our inner inner labia, our labia minora, 
um, during our menopause transition, that mm-hmm. it's, um, they talk about menopause as sort of being a reverse of puberty, that mm-hmm. we actually develop our inner lips down there, mm-hmm. our labia, our minora, um, during puberty, and that sometimes for some women, we lose them in menopause. Wow. Lots of things going on. Yeah, a lot going on down there. Yeah. The cool thing too about um, the vaginal estrogen is that um, the most recent uh, recommendations say that it is uh, even safer than medical hormonal therapy, that because it's delivered more locally instead of systemically, that uh, of course, always talk to your physician. We are not giving you medical advice. We're Mm -hmm. not recommending anything personally, but um, that there the positives for women being on it are innumerable. And we don't know of very many, many negatives at all. Um, and even if you don't have insurance, worst case scenario, a tube of vaginal estrogen is, I think it's like $30 and it usually lasts about two and a half months. So it's not horribly cost prohibitive as a lot of other things are. And the more we learn about this and the more we advocate and push maybe they'll start covering it more mm-hmm. because it really should be covered more widely than it is. It should. And this is an area where I think the pharmaceutical companies do women a disservice because the costs of these medications are really high. I use the ring, mm-hmm. which is a little ring that emits estrogen that you, you know, you insert into your vagina and it stays there for three months. Sorry to give such graphic uh, instructions or information, but I just think it's helpful for people to know some of the options out there. I love the ring because I don't have to remember it. I don't have to think about it. It it puts out estrogen. You cannot feel it during intercourse. Like mm-hmm. there's no sensation. It does not like the the penis bumps against it and it and it hurts. You know, either him or me. But it's so expensive. I actually go to a pharmacy in Canada to get it because it's it's less expensive than sure. getting it right here in the United States. Now, that's absolutely absurd to me. Sure. Like all of this should be so affordable for people. Yeah. And you know, and I'm a woman with privilege. You know, yeah. what about people who don't have that? You know, yeah. what about people who, you know, have to make the choice of I want to feed my kids or I want to eat. Yeah. You know, or I need to pay the rent. I can't afford that fancy ring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are times that maybe there are contraindications against being on like the cream and the ring would be recommended instead. And so I think most clinicians are going to probably start out with one of the other options. But, you know, of course, medicine isn't one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. But it yeah. just it just pisses me off. Yeah, so, that is yeah. not cool. Yeah. Another couple of things I wonder if I should share about a couple of books that I found real helpful. That'd be great. And all of these will be in the show notes, all of these resources that Sharon's been been recommending. Yeah. Um, I really love Dr. Jen Gunter as well. She is an OB-GYN who um, wrote the Menopause Manifesto, and she also wrote the Vagina Bible. So um, she is a wealth of knowledge and has a a great blog called the Vagenda. Um, <laughs> so you can go to drjengunter.com <laughs> to sign up for her blog if you're interested. 
she also is writing a book right now on menstruation. So I, I can't remember the title. There's some quirky little title like blood or something that I think it's coming out next year. So all you ever wanted to know about menstruation, you will be able to find out soon. There's another great book too called What Fresh Hell Is This? Uh-huh. Menopause, Menopause, Other Indignities and You by Heather <laughs> Karina. Um, and if you are, are someone who is non-binary or is trans, this book is much more inclusive in, in that kind of arena. It might feel a lot more comfortable to have that book than accompany you on your journey. Thanks. Those, those sound great. Yeah. And I do want to plug another really, really phenomenal resource is letstalkmenopause.org. It is an online, you know, web page that is really clear about um, what menopause is and the symptoms. You can even print out this handy dandy little one page sy- symptom checklist that you can then go through um, and, and complete so that if you're going to your physician, you've got your list of all of the symptoms that you can let them know what you're going through. And in fact, as I was glancing at it, I noticed one symptom that we neglected to mention that I did want to bring up because a lot of women struggle with this too. I was just having a conversation with friends about this recently, weight gain, Mm. especially in our middle or our thighs, that um, it's sort of a protective response that we go through as we age is that we tend to gain more weight in our midsections. As if things weren't already bad enough, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, all things said and done, (laughs) um, I would say that um, maybe we're not defined by what our midsections look like. Oh, I agree with you totally. But, you know, that is a cultural thing that, you know, we have to work really hard to overcome, right? Yeah. There's definitely a lot of pressure out there around what we look like Mm -hmm. um, and the standards that women are held up to, even in different ways than men. Um, Often we think of men as looking distinguished as they age, but we don't describe women in those same rosy terms. Oh, totally not. Do you remember Jamie Lee Curtis when she did that? uh, I think it was a a lingerie, like an undergarment ad. I don't know if it was an underwear ad or a bra oh, ad. It might've been poise for, um, I think it um, might've might been like an incontinence underwear. Yeah. And, and she was fully unclothed except for underwear. And I was like, wow. I mean, yeah. the courage it took to do that at the time when she did that, yeah. I had such respect for her. Like yeah. imagine if there were more ads like that. Yeah. Well, and you just jogged my memory on a movie that I would recommend. Um, <laughs> if if you're interested, I think it's one that really helps us look at how we think about ourselves as we age and our bodies and maybe find a little more acceptance, but it's called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. <laughs> and um, it is just such a phenomenal movie. Um, I'm going to forget the actress's name that's in uh... it. She is phenomenal. Um, and she is a woman who's, I think in her sixties. And at one point she undresses in front of a mirror and looks at herself and it's just such a touching scene. I'll have to check that out. I want to, I do plan to do an episode just on our bodies, right. And well, should should I give you acceptance? 
a little bit of a background that that movie is about a woman who um, loses her husband. Uh, she's widowed and um, she's, I think, a retired teacher, if my memory serves, and she's never had an orgasm. And so she seeks out a sex worker to help her achieve an orgasm. And it's set in England. And um, it's just such a touching, sweet story. I mean, I would say don't let the subjects scare you off. <laughs> um, it is a really great movie. Well, thanks. You you just are amazing with your knowledge and all of your resources. So what's what's next on your list? Do we want to talk about how this impacts our sexual functioning? Yeah, I think that that would be a great idea. What area feels important to start with? Is there anything? I think desire. I mean, I think we can understand that that all of the vaginal changes that cause pain are going to impact our ability to get turned on, to relax, to to enjoy sex, to want to have sex. Yeah. To feel comfortable in our own bodies. Yeah, to feel feel comfortable. We we want our partners to see us if we're struggling with body to feel sexy, you know, if, if we're starting to get more wrinkles, you know, and our, and our body's changing in so many ways, just to feel like you're sexy. Yeah. You know, also. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, I'll put in my little plug here that, um, I do think that aging is a privilege that not all of us get to do. And I would love to be part of the wave that starts to push things a little differently in how we look at it. Um, during the pandemic, I stopped coloring my hair. So I am now au naturel with my little white streak and my going gray hair. And I'm going to push against that idea that you can't be sexy if you're gray. And that only men are you know, mm-hmm. good looking if they're gray. And oh, I so, think, I think gray hair on women is so sexy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still, I'm almost there. I need a little more salt to my pepper before I do that switch over. But yeah, yeah now I think we need to redefine what aging is, especially as the baby boomer generation, you know, is aging even more and we're getting more people that are older. Yeah. Um, hey, I want to circle back though, to yeah. the pain and and all of those symptoms that cause pain is I want to make sure people know, do not have sex when you have pain. Like you do not have to do that. Like you should have consent to have sex, meaning you need to want to have sex. And if it hurts and you're in pain, you should not put yourself through that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's actually a wonderful point that, um, in this society, we really have gotten into this rut of thinking sex equals intercourse. And exactly. so one of the things that we as sex therapists do is mm-hmm. help people sometimes widen their lens a bit, because um, instead of focusing on intercourse or orgasm as the be all end all or the only goal, what if we switched our focus and focused on what brings you pleasure and connection together? Exactly. And, um, you know, it it kind of just blows up everything we think about. If we think about, you know, are there other ways that we can actually be sexual together, even if one of us is having difficulty with penetration? I'm so glad you brought that up. The research shows that people who are, um, as they age, 
that have healthy sexuality and healthy relationships are those that have redefined sex away from penetrative intercourse into pleasure and connection. Yeah. That, you know, it it is important that we redefine our expectations as we age, Mm -hmm. you know, at 50, I am not the same as I was at 20. And I would say, thank God (laughs) for so many ways. I feel so much better than when I was 20. I couldn't need me to go back completely. Yeah. No, I'm 61. I I might like to roll back 10 years, but definitely not to my twenties or thirties. Cause I think, you know, I didn't have confidence then, you know, and I think you get to a certain point where you're like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. I'm going to be who I am Mm -hmm. and I'm going to show up authentically and the right people that really value me for who I am, they're going to stay in my life. The other people, nah, I I don't need them. Right. I just want the people that like me for who I am. So I'm going to start showing up every day as who I am. That's also another episode I have for the future. Ooh, that's awesome. Preach it. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's, I actually affectionately refer them to the fuck at forties when <laughs> often the time when we start to kind of just come into this period of our life when we're like, oh my gosh, we have wasted so many years worried about what other people think of us or, you know, what yep. we look like or whatever. And so we sometimes embrace a whole new, you know, part of ourselves in a different way. That, that we can really become more embodied. We can really, like you said, become more authentic. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's let's uh, go through the other sexual issues. I think I think low desire is really a key one that we need to hit and then we can probably wrap things up unless there's more you want to add. Yeah, I th- I'm trying to think if there's anything else that um, really sticks out. You know, maybe I'll put in a little tiny plug here that we're talking about women and aging right now, but, you know, another episode you probably should do at some point too, is about men and aging because um, on the agenda, yay, (laughs) you know, because they are certainly not exempt from any of this, you know, you're, we're hearing about all of this and thinking, man, it sucks to be a woman. But, you know, men have their issues too. They go through an andropause um, very similarly and um, have issues with erections. You know, erections might not be as reliable or as firm or, you know, definitely having trouble with them. And there's sort of a, a like a, a statistic that people kind of roughly use that once you hit age 50, it's sort of like 50% of men have trouble with erections, 60% of men, 60 and old, you know, kind yep. of the decade of life. It's goes by the decade. The yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, and I don't think we talk enough about how it's not a matter of if you're going to have erection trouble, it's a matter it's of when. Exactly. Yes. And, and so this idea that, you know, penetration might be an issue. It's not just for women. It can right. be an issue because of, of male partners as well. Right. No, I, you are spot on, spot on. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and that's the thing is how do we, how do we grow old together with grace? You know, um, David Snarch, who is a sex therapist who has written some books and has passed away, but he was really influential in, in the field. I might slaughter this a little bit, but he's got this saying about, um, genital prime and sexual prime being at opposite ends of our lifetime. And that it takes a whole lifetime for our head and our heart to catch up to our bodies. 
Mm. You know, yeah, that sometimes, yeah, I, I think that is great because I mm-hmm. think about the sex that I had when I was younger. I don't know that I would trade what I have now. It oh, is- I would not. I was so bad at sex when I was young. Yeah. Yes. Maybe it was more physical, but it was not meaningful like it is now. It's not yeah. like, yeah, satisfying. Yeah. That that it's not just your body, but it's also your brain and Mm -hmm. your soul that can Mm -hmm. be involved. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, maybe a a last plug for another book is, um, you know, we have a lot out there about what's wrong, what's going wrong with us, what's going wrong with aging or our relationships. But there was a study done a few years ago in Canada, and they wrote a book on it called Magnificent Sex. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was looking at couples that self-identify as having magnificent sex lives. And one of the cool things that came out of that book was many of them had what they would identify as issues with desire or mm-hmm. chronic illness. They weren't mm-hmm. spring chickens. Some of them were older. In fact, I think average age of first magnificent sex, I think, was if my memory is serving, maybe 50 or even older. And so um, it isn't this idea that like, oh, we've lost all of the experiences we've had when we were 20 or 30. It doesn't have to get worse and worse. It's just in how we approach it and um, how we handle it, how we treat each other, Mm -hmm. how we treat ourselves. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because that that I think is a good capstone on the desire impact of menopause because not everybody, but there will be a significant number of women who go through menopause that really struggle with sexual desire after that. And I love that you mentioned the book because that doesn't need that doesn't need to be a thing that kills your sexual relationship with your partner. Yeah. Okay. Even if you have lower desire, yeah. if you redefine sex into something that's connecting and pleasurable, you're going to be more likely to want to engage in it. And you can still have magnificent sex, even postmenopausal. Yeah, you sure can. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, um, as Emily Nagoski, who is one of the goddesses of sex research, (laughs) who wrote the come as you are book, um, you know, she talks about the difference between spontaneous and responsive desire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people who have more responsive desire, which means that desire isn't present when we go into an experience, but it builds as we start to kiss and touch and experience pleasure and arousal, which is bodily signs, then our brain goes, oh, that's nice. I'd like more of that. And our desire builds. And so that's a common phenomenon for many of us throughout our lives, but even more so once we hit menopause. Well, thanks so much, Sharon. I think this has been fabulous. I just, I appreciate all of your knowledge and all of the research you did with the statistics and then your resources, right? So I'm going to summarize for us, right? What we talked about today. So we can have a takeaway that everyone can have. And to me, it sounds like we should think about menopause as just a stage in our lives that has both good and bad and knowledge is power in that. And I also want to add, I love that you brought up 
that redefining sex away from penetrative intercourse into things that are pleasurable and connecting will free you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Free you into being able to develop magnificent sex, regardless of your age. Yeah. So I love that. Thanks for listening to the great sex podcast, where we share the real truth about love and sex and empower you to change your relationship. And if you haven't already, I sure would love it if you could subscribe to the podcast and rate it, as that will really help me to be able to keep it growing and keep it on the air. And if you have questions or topics you'd really like me to cover in future episodes or guests you'd like me to interview, please let me know. And yeah, I probably can't get Taylor Swift on any episodes, even though she is dating Kelsey right now of the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm located in Kansas City. But if you have a suggestion, you can go to my website, lovefilledlife.com forward slash ask hyphen Heather. So hey, until next time, remember, life is too short for bad sex. Thanks.